postmodern and post-Christian are both terms that the, the church seriously needs to retire. We're going to the world to tell them who we are, and we're not going to the world to present who God is. The world in which so much is focused on building walls and keeping people out. An alternative way to live is to live by... It's almost like raising up a white flag and saying, ah, it's all the secular people's fault, and no one's listening or coming to our evangelistic how can we redesign Adventism to be effective at reaching emerging Western culture? That's what the Story Church podcast is all about. Adventism redesigned. All right, Max. So we've said a lot there. It's been um, it's been a really good discussion. Um, any other thoughts that you'd like to throw in before we wrap this one up? Yeah, there's a couple thoughts that had kind of just come up uh, like throughout that like they were on the tip of my tongue, but then we like dovetailed into like other topics, right? Or like kept rolling <laughs> on. So there's a couple things I thought I would bring out. One one of them is uh, when it comes to the imprecatory Psalms, uh, there is an interesting point that I saw from Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, in his book Life Together um, that I think uh, it always struck me as very interesting. Um, obviously Bonhoeffer, he is very relevant to the theme of resistance when it comes to worship, obviously, you know, fighting Nazis, kind of a form of resistance. Um, (laughs) but, um, you know, in life together, there's this line where he kind of assumes that like the humble and contrite Christian may in fact, and, or will in fact find it difficult to pray the imprecatory Psalms, knowing, knowing ourselves to be sinners, knowing ourselves to be imperfect. Like how can we, how can we even relate to the sentiment of like crying out for vengeance against, you know, our enemies type of thing? Like how, how does a Christian reconcile themselves to that emotion? Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it, the way he handled it was very interesting. And I think it, it's fascinating to think of him as a figure, not only in world war II, but also in the context of the Holocaust um, you know, someone who is part of resistance. Um, mm. And he says that one way that you can approach those Psalms and pray them is to remember that, like, I mean, this is me kind of adding on here, but like your prayer life isn't acceptable because you're acceptable. Like everything is mediated through Christ, right? Mm. So mm. Bonhoeffer's thing was like, Christ is the one who was oppressed. Christ is the one who was wrongfully you know, oppressed by his enemies. Um, and so for the average Christian who doesn't feel themselves worthy to take on those words from scripture, it is Christ who prays the imprecatory Psalms on your behalf, Christ who mm. cries out for justice on your behalf, Christ who, who calls out to the father on your behalf. Right. And I think mm. that there, for Adventists, there is some powerful mediatorial sanctuary high priest language in there that I think fits nicely into an Adventist worship framework. Yeah, um, yeah. It, it should give us a framework for thinking about like, okay, how do we process the negative emotions? Mm-hmm. It's like, well, remember, mm-hmm. everything is being mediated before God through Christ and the Spirit. You also you probably right. throw Romans 8 in there, right? The groans too deep for words. Creation itself mm-hmm. is groaning and we are groaning with it. And somewhere mm-hmm. in the... <laughs> there is a prayer in there that the, the Spirit yeah. can... That Christ and the Spirit can present before the Father that is... An acceptable offering and so that you know that and i think that that's incredibly profound and powerful 
Absolutely, um, man. And it, I, I'd say note, I'd add go, is, go this, just before you go to your related note um, uh, as well, it just reminded, I just remembered it as you were sharing that um, if, mm-hmm. if anyone wants a live example of what this can look like, I can think of one source. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a group on YouTube called The Common Hymnal. Mm. So if you look up the common hymn notes, it's a, it's a bunch of young people from the UK. There's a big group of young people from the UK who basically got together and asked, what would it look like if praise is protest? Hmm. And they wrote songs and they sing them and you can, yeah, they have one titled God is not abusive, beautiful song. They've got worship songs um, about, uh, you know, written from the perspective um, of women who've been abused, uh, sort of kind of like a me too worship songs. Um, yeah, all kinds of racial reconciliation, humanitarian compassion. Like I think I'm not saying that everyone has to look like that because they're just one group in their own context expressing themselves. So obviously, mm-hmm. you know, they're just an example of what it looks like. there, not necessarily a blueprint for everywhere, but I know sometimes people are like struggling to put, meat to the bones, so to speak. So if you, if you want to get a, a, a bit of a tangible vision of what it could look like to worship God in a, in a mood that com, could, you know, brings in the full spectrum of human emotion and the elements of biblical worship that include lamentation and protest and, and even imprecatory elements, um, check out the common hymnal. Yeah. They're, uh, they're pretty cool. Anyways, um, go yeah, for no, it. You great. had, you had, yeah, you had another related thought. That's a good example. Well, and it, it kind of feeds off of what you were saying, because it's, it is the question of like, how does worship manifest itself as protest? And I think it does bring us back to Psalm 137, because the context of that Psalm um, is that it's the children of Israel waiting by the rivers of Babylon, where they have been taken by force into exile and remembering mm-hmm. Zion, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there is an incredible analogy and incredible parallel to be drawn from their experience to the experience of the peoples of the African diaspora, right? The people who were taken as slaves from their homeland, taken to a strange land, and being forced to reconstruct an identity for themselves um, in a foreign context, right? Mm, um, mm. That, that historical event is the event that also through this oppressed people group gave us all of modern music, right? If it hadn't been for that, like all of these modern music styles grow out of this, this people, well, these peoples, cause it's multiple people groups who, mm-hmm. who were affected by this. Right. But, but through it comes song and through it comes music and through it comes passion. And it, it really does in many ways reshape the world, the way yeah. that like, Black Americans and Caribbean people sing and people in mm. South America, right? And so it, it's like, oh, right, this still happens in human history. The, the, the sad psalmists are still around, right? It, it, it's, an, it's a living tradition. And so much of what we consume as music today was shaped by that musical tradition. And Absolutely. so you know, to, to kind of pick up off of the thing I'd said earlier about how rock is the rocks crying out uh, by that same token, rock and roll, hip hop, they are the second angel's message. Babylon is fallen. It's still mm. 
Psalm 137, all these thousands of years later, it's still that same cry going up before God. Why? It's Habakkuk chapter one and Habakkuk chapter three and all of those Psalms. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? I mean, that Mm. is, I mean, you mentioned earlier in the episode, like uh, heavy metal, rock and roll, rap. I'm like, yeah, if you trace these all back, they all go back to the blues and to the field songs. Mm. And like that's that's where these all these genres trace their roots back to that. And it is very much the experience of people asking how to sing the songs of the Lord in a foreign land, how to sing Mm. the songs of Jerusalem in Babylon. Yeah, you know, absolutely. And and so there is a very real sense that like when we engage multiculturally with worship, we declare that Babylon is fallen. Yeah, um, yeah. and that's it, again. It's, it's interesting because these the, these points that I'm making here they are pro modern music, but they are I would mm. say profoundly Adventist. Yeah. Um. So you know, make yeah. of that and, and what you will. And I would add to that um, as well, just as a bit of a um, a challenge too, because I know you know particularly thinking of people who have different persuasions who are listening to this, the the idea that, for example, rap or, or rock can inhabit the 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 mood and elements of the second angel's message, um, m- might be difficult to reconcile with kind of what you hear on the radio, you know, like right, um, you know, whether it's you know. I don't, I don't, honestly, I don't even know who the new guys are, man. I'm, I'm a geriatric millennial, so um, I don't know who the new guys on the radio are. But, you know, in my day, it was like, you know, Jay-Z and um, DMX and all those guys. And you listen to sort of the popular, um, you know, stuff that you find on the radio. And it's hard to reconcile those two because the popular music or the popular expressions aren't actually they aren't actually expressing what the music is is rooted in. They've been commodified, you know, they've been commodified and you make a lot of money selling a song about drugs and girls. Um, but that's, that's not what we're talking about. What we're referring to is, is the mood and the context in which these genres were born as expressions of lamentation, grief, and protest. Um, you know, one, one perfect example is um, historically, and I, I think Ava DuVernay captures this in her documentary 13th, um, because black people were not allowed to enroll in school uh, and university, um, when generations began to come up who said, oh, we'd love to go to school and study music, they weren't allowed, right? Like they couldn't enroll and study and study music. And honestly, as horrible as that is and deeply unjust as that is, in one sense, there's a beauty that came out of it because had they gone to school, they would have just learned European music theory but because they were denied entry to these schools they had to then take their musical musical passion and develop their own styles and out of that was born a lot of these styles that we hear today that are you know again deeply rooted in lamentation and protest and I, i do think that that has really really beautiful connection to what we see in the biblical call that babylon has fallen that the systems of this world are inherently corrupt and unjust and that Jesus is coming to undo them all and that his kingdom is is not aligned with, you know, any human empire or republic, but that it will ground, grind the statue of human legacy to powder and, and establish a new creation, a new kingdom. Um, I think that's, yeah, that's absolutely beautiful and awesome. Mm-hmm. And, yep. and it's, I think it's safe to say, like, there's always in, to, to use the word, the world, 
there's always a mix uh, of like that which is shallow and that which is profound. Mm. Like that's just kind of mm-hmm. always been true in every generation. Uh, but there's always a counterculture. There's always an underground music scene. There's always the stuff that you don't hear on the radio. And it's not to, I don't discount the mainstream stuff all the way mm. either. Um, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, good things either. happen there. For example, mm. I know you say you don't know who the guys on the radio are, and I'm. It's because it's the girls on the radio now. They're, it's their turn now. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, uh, it's it's the, it's one of those things where like, there is good stuff. You have to know where to look for it, and I think that's mm. that's a thing to to throw out there that there's always for been sure. like conscious music that mm. to be consumed. Yeah. You just have to know where to find it. So, is absolutely. That, Absolutely. Um, you had another point. Or was that point both that of May? It, oh, okay, no, no, no that, that was like two parts of one point. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep dividing them. We'll be here forever. Nice, um, nice. No, so this is my last point. And I think it may be, there's a part of me that's like, oh, this is going to be anticlimactic for like everything else that's come before in this conversation. But it's, it's a response to just one thing that was said that you said actually earlier in this conversation that I think is, uh, is worth revisiting since I can speak to it from an inside perspective. And it's the question of like, where do the Asians fit into this uh, emotional expression spectrum, mm, right? Yeah, I'd love to know. Um, yeah. Because, th- and this is one of those things where um, when it comes to like Asians in the West, we're kind of like one of the more invisible minorities, right? Like it's, it's we're, we're the group that kind of gets kind of oversimplified, lumped into one group and then not thought about, right? Mm. It's, uh, it, it, it's its own unique kind of experience. Um, but one of the things that I think is interesting is you can, you could draw with pretty straight lines around the parameter of what you'd say is like, the approximate, you know, generalization of white styles of worship. Obviously, there's within that there is variation. There's tons of different things you could explore, but you could you could draw a circle around it and be like, oh yeah, you know, that's approximately the kinds of things white people do in worship, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least things that white people do in worship that weren't like blatantly yoinked from black people. Right. Mm. Um, And then also, likewise, you could very clearly draw lines around like this is historically like black American worship. This is what Caribbean worship looks like. This is what worship looks like in all the various countries and cultures on the African continent. Like you obviously in both cases, you're drawing very big circles, but you can draw circles. Right. And and you could say that and people could probably have a sound come to their mind. Right. Mm. You could think of gospel music. You could think of old hymns or classical music or whatever right but when it comes to asians it's kind of like oh what's asian christian music sound like i don't know it kind of honestly mostly sounds like the white bubble Mm. you know and i think that that is a huge part of like the 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 blind spots in our missiology the blind spots in how we export american culture predominantly as if it is part of the package of Christianity when we do missions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and so when you go to, you know, I I know I've been in overseas mission contexts before I'm Japanese and I've been to Japan for mission work and the hymns are the hymns. They, they're the same ones that we have here. They were written by 
Brits and Americans and Germans and French people, you know, like that's, mm. that's what they are. I grew up going to a, a Japanese church in Toronto and our hymns were mo- even the Japanese hymns were mostly Western songs translated into Japanese, mm-hmm. right? That, those were the songs that got sung. Anyways, I'm sure the Japanese songbook had some like natively Japanese songs, but I, you never heard those, um, which I think says a lot. Now, mm. I, this came up because we were talking about the, the reserved nature of you know european worship historically and the the environment of it obviously in your grandiose cathedrals it's meant to evoke a certain atmosphere and you'd kind of Mm. questioned like is the reserved nature that you see in asian worship contexts the is that essentially the result of colonization Mm -hmm. um and i want to say yes and yes (laughs) no um it's, it's complicated. On, on mm. the one hand, um, the term Asian is just too broad to really mean anything. Um, yeah. You just think about how large the continent is. Asian is not a racial group. I mean, people typically mean East Asian when they just say it on its own. But the, the term properly, properly, properly designates everything from Japan to India to Jordan, you know, mm-hmm. and to Syria. So it, it really it doesn't do justice to the diversity that's contained within that. Mm. I can speak to the Japanese experience that pre-colonialism, Japan's culture, Japan's mode of self-expression, Japan's art and whatever was independently very reserved, very Mm. rigid, very structured, not maybe not rigid, but definitely structured and formal, right? Mm. That's just the Japanese way. In fact, I would say Japanese people are more, structured and formal than westerners mm. like it's like we're we're going harder on the reverence <laughs> not even just yeah. to god i mean yes to god and the gods are in like a shinto context but also to other mm. people right like you you better bow to your elders you know what i mean mm. like it, it is very like respect driven culture and the way people yeah. comport themselves reflects that um mm. that they the, the japanese also know how to party really hard um, and you can, it can almost be like night and day from yeah. like, you know, <laughs> business office, Japanese person. And then the same guy that evening at a concert is like mm. night and day, but it's, yeah. it's very much like, here's the on switch, here's the off switch. And it's just, that's the culture, you know, mm. that's mm. just how it is. Um, obviously in other contexts, you know, Japanese people have traditional dances. I don't think they're quite as high energy as what you would see perhaps in certain Indian cultures where like they, you know, they really can dance, you know, like, Mm, mm. and they'll go for it. And like, but then again, India has a remarkable tradition of percussion instruments, tabla Mm. and uh, the conical rhythms and all of it's like India is on a different level when it comes to rhythm and as a result also dance and how that accompanies it. So, Mm. you know, it's, you know, Japan has never been uh, a colonial territory, give or take. Like the West has mm. tried, but they they have ended up usually avoiding that. India was a you know a British colony, right? And so mm-hmm. you you can never really paint these places with like one and the same brush. Um, I think it's interesting. In many cases, I do see like 
post-colonial Asian Christians, like pe- hmm. people who are Christians who are of Asian heritage from countries that were like colonial territory. Um, yeah. I do often find that what they've been handed is a very westernized form of worship. And I think that that's a crime. I think that that is, is robbing people of expressing their sentiments about God in language and cultural forms that are inherent to them, that are native to them. And I think that that has to be inherently stifling. Um, yeah. Like to yeah. be like, I can't use, I, we, we are so clear-headed about the necessity of Bible translation and getting scripture to people mm. in forms that they understand. Like that is in some ways part of the foundation of Protestantism. Like we're mm-hmm. really about that life. But as soon as it comes to like something that has like musical notes attached to it, we completely lose sight of that fact. So mm. it, it is one of those things that I think there is a lot of work to be done to allow um, Asian people to discover, I, I should say Asian peoples, who are Christians to discover worship for Christ in their own natural voice. Um, And it's not to say that that hasn't happened. Um, I I have actually seen over time to, to continue on with India, many Indian Christians who are beginning to recover um, Mm. the use of their own language in worship, the use of their own singing styles, I mean, Mm. everything from like what we call the Middle East to India has a very different approach to scales uh, Mm -hmm. than the West does because they have microtones, notes between the semitones, which sounds Mm. phenomenal. I I can't do it for the life of me because I'm not from within that context, but it's beautiful. Um, And you're hearing more of that coming up in like Protestant Indian worship now. Um, there's actually a group, interestingly, a white group uh, of Canadian guys who were like missionary kids in India and Nepal, but they were part of like Indian congregations in Toronto. And one of them happened to be a sitar player and like nice. grew up yeah. knowing how to speak like Tamil and Hindi. And I think their music, <laughs> they had like Arabic in there and they had Sanskrit lyrics at certain points. And they mm. were doing like, and they would collaborate with Indian musicians too, right? Like Indian singers and tabla players and stuff. And so they would, mm. I remember they came to Tyndale University where I was at and they did a, a chapel performance of a mix of like English and, and foreign language songs of worship to Jesus in a completely different atmosphere than I ever heard before. And I was like, mm. oh, this is unique. It's kind of reserved, but in a different way, it feels different than like Europeanized worship. It, it's mm. a different vibe. It's a different atmosphere. It's a different expression and it's beautiful. And it's giving back to a group of people, their own expression, their own heritage as something that can be genuinely and authentically Christ-centered Christian. And, and like, there is no contradiction inherent in that. Um, I'll send you a link. It's, it's, yeah. I'll send you a link to some music. Cause I'm sure it would be interesting to check out. But yeah, um, that would be that would be really awesome. Yeah. yeah. And I think what this does is uh, particularly with emerging generations as well is uh, it's an invitation to decolonize and seek to, you know, recover an expression of faith and worship that is that comes from from your heritage, from your ancestors, from your people. 
-hmm. And uh, I think that that's a worthy exercise to do. In fact, I believe that the call to come out of Babylon involves decolonization. Mm. And so, you know, certainly I want to encourage, you know, get into scripture, dig your roots deep in Jesus, and then identify the ways in which you can celebrate that, that beauty of who he is uh, within the cultural, um, what's the word, look at the, the cultural, um, the colors and expressions of your culture. And, you know, that's, it sounds easy. Like I'm, I, I, I certainly don't intend to oversimplify that. I think it can be challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, you know, I've often wondered what would it have looked like if Western um, mission work had been just preaching the naked gospel and allowing locals to express the their their worship of that in their own way like what what would it look like what would christianity look like globally today i think would be absolutely fascinating um and i can only imagine and i can only guess but i i certainly do think you know particularly with younger generations coming up certainly pray about and you know go on that journey and and find ways of expressing your faith in jesus that are culturally appropriate to to your context and and to the people that you're trying to reach because this is one of the reasons why our church struggles now within the west to reach emerging western cultures because within the west newer generations have completely detached themselves from the ways of old and we're so stuck in that mind frame that when we interact with them or if they attend one of our churches or they 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 see what we're doing and how we express ourselves and how we dress and how we sing it's so foreign and weird and bizarre that it's just a world they want nothing to do with um and so i think decolonization is a very very deeply needed um experience that we need to go through if we want cross-cultural mission to continue to succeed and if we want mission in our own western backyard to Mm -hmm. actually succeed again we really need to decolonize for sure Mm -hmm. yeah and to say i'd say succeed perhaps in ways that it hasn't before exactly right yeah succeed in ways that that allow the the authentic gospel to flourish naturally in the environment mm-hmm. that receives it um, Amen. like that yeah, that is that would be a step forward for us that would be that yeah. would be a new achievement so absolutely yeah. that would be awesome yeah cool so there you go there's your asian perspective on the the worship debate i love that man that's really interesting i've never ever interacted with the asian perspective before that yeah that's that's really interesting. It's mind blowing. There are a lot of similarities with that and the mm-hmm. Caribbean. Um, mm-hmm. Definitely a lot of similarities. I can I can see the links in between the different experiences, and I would imagine those similarities are basically to be found anywhere where colonization has taken place. <laughs> yeah. Um, Actually, yeah. No, I just thought of something else too, which is, is still on topic, so I, you know, I won't <laughs> just dovetail us off into another thing, but. I said the Asian perspective on the worship question, but I was like, Mm. oh, right. Uh, Orthodoxy exists and there's a lot of resistance these days. I I think rightfully so against the term Middle East since like, I mean, I'm Japanese. That is the West to me. Um, Everything on earth is the West to me. I mean, the earth is round, so everything is also east to me as well, but you you get the picture of what I mean, right? Um, 
but it, it is a it is a foreign imposition of a name onto a place that has loose cultural connections, right? But I've been favoring the term Western Asia to talk to at least the Asian part of it. Because I know people will like clump a lot of North Africa into the Arab world, quote unquote, right? But I'm like, hold on. The Asian perspective on worship, uh, the book of Psalms, what? Like, that is the Asian continent. What are you talking about? Like, this is an Asian religion. Like, uh, an Asian and North African religion. So, like, the the biblical perspective on worship is the Asian perspective on worship. Um, and I don't think people give that enough credit for, like, what it really is. Like, the instruments that they were playing to those psalms developed in Arabia and in the like the area around them in the Mediterranean. So I'm just like, yeah, I remember having this conversation with my grandma when she told me, like, I remember driving on in the car with her and she was like, yeah, you know, people in Okinawa told me, asked me, like, how could you convert to the white man's religion? And I'm like, well, grandma, you, re you realize that like, Christianity is an Asian religion and she's like you know I've never thought of it that way before but yeah yeah so yeah, that's a good you know, point that's yeah. that's really something and I want I really want, really want to reclaim that because in in the spaces where people are deconstructing a lot of people rail against the Europeanness of Christianity and I want us to say like no Christianity at its core and the basics the bare bones basics of what it is like the things we assume are like the basics of Christianity, like that is an Asian and North African phenomenon, West Asian and North African. So yeah, yeah. Like let's let's reframe the narrative a little bit. Like absolutely. Yeah, I love it. That's that's, yeah. that's my closing thought there. Awesome, love it, bro. <laughs> All right, we've got two episodes left: old versus new, and then Ellen White and Evans history. Um, yes. So yeah. That's it for today, everyone. We are out of time, so make sure you keep tuning in. Like, share, subscribe, tell your friends about it, and uh, enjoy the journey along with us. In the meantime, if you haven't had a chance to do it yet, I invite you to go to the storychurchproject.com and check out the new Bible study guide, The Road, A Journey Through the Narrative of Scripture. The second edition is now available, and this is a Bible study set that's been specifically designed for communicating the narrative of redemption, the story of scripture to millennials, Zeds, uh, post-church, unchurched, post-modern generations. Make sure you check that out. Get your hands on a copy and I will catch you next week. Mm -hmm.